0: Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, welcoming you to another episode of My Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today, we're continuing this series called Grounding as we are examining the foundations of our lives, and we are looking at the problem that unchecked sin causes, all right, which is worse than you think. I know a lot of us, man, we wonder, and we, we kind of play these games when it comes to definitions and with words, but listen, this isn't a game. All right. And that's what we're going to look at today, because there are consequences to unchecked sin. We've been calling it grounding. And the whole point of that is for us to better understand and examine the foundations of our lives, to examine the foundation of our life, to examine the core of our heart, to make sure that Christ is at the center like we've been singing about. It's one thing to sing it. It's one thing to sing it. And it's one thing to want it. It's another thing to then actually then do it. And allow him to sit there. So that's what we've been doing this last couple of weeks as we've been looking and examining how the Lord can take that seat of honor in our lives. And we've been looking at this being a we've been looking at these adjectives of being a grounded person as somebody who is. Hopefully by now you've already memorized some of these, maybe if you've been watching for a couple of weeks, somebody who is grounded is somebody who's confident, someone who is sure of themselves a balanced, a well-balanced individual, and also someone who is just unshaken. And we've been looking to desire to say, Lord, may we learn to be more confident in Christ, sure of his word, sure of who he is, so that we can hold on to that unshakable hope. But today I want to focus on this one adjective that we haven't looked at yet, and it's being a balanced person. Somebody who is grounded is someone who is balanced. And obviously, guys, the opposite of balance is obviously off-balance, and I know I'm not the only one who's lost their balance in public and try to play it off like uh, I meant to do that. All right. Anybody else? Oh, look at that. Some of y'all, right? And was like, I've done that. I've been, I, I have to admit, I am one of those lame individuals. I was a kid, though, so I got You got to give me a little credit where I fell in front of a bunch of girls. Fell down and pulled it off and just busted out a couple push-ups when I was in elementary school. Yeah, baby, this is, you know, it's just random push-ups. This is what it is. He's been working on them gains all day, right? So I I did that. I did that. I was little, all right? And I was so embarrassed, right? I lost my balance. I tripped in front of everybody to try to, you know, about try to play it off with some push-ups. I must have looked like even bigger than an idiot, but whatever. Guys, we all know what that's like, right? You ever had somebody bump into you, right? You kind of lose your balance for a moment, right? You, or you trip on something and fall. Like, we know what that's like. Being off balance is not good. But that's not only physically, but I'm sure we all know what it's like to just feel off. Emotionally, mentally, right? When just something is just not right, right? When, when you are off balance, even emotionally, mentally, spiritually, right? It's something just, it, it just doesn't... Feel right, and we know, and then things are kind of, you know, it's a little harder, right? We struggle a little bit, and there's this, there's this one thing that I want you guys to understand that throws us off more than anything else, and this is huge for us, especially church. Y'all need to listen. The one thing that throws us off the most, throws us off balance the most, is sin. It's something called sin. It's something that I know it's not super popular to talk about and think about and say. Because when you associate sin, you already associate. It's like, oh, bros, stop judging me, right? Stop judging me. I know. I get it. I get it. But see, this thing, though, is real and it's important. This, this sin throws us off more than anything else. In fact, what it does for a lot of us, it's like, uh, here's the I- image I want y'all to do. I, I think some of y'all played this game. Anybody ever done a Dizzy back game? Everybody done one of those before, right? Right when you're trying, to, you put your head down on a bat. You spin in circles, spin in circles, spin in circles, and then when they say go, you get up and you try to run straight. But obviously, you think you're running straight, but you're running the whole time like this, right? You, and you're trying to run straight, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, and you, you're, you're, you can't help it because you're off balance, right? My wife loves. My wife loves watching people fall. I don't know why. This is her thing. All right? It just gets her. Uh, she sees um, one time I was walking, trying to. I was trying to be, you know, baby, I got this. I, I got dinner. Don't worry. Take, it. Lean back. I got this. And I did. I cooked everything. Right? We had little kids, very little kids and the dog. And we had this baby gate at the front gate, you know, right there in front of the kitchen. It's one of those with the foot lever, right? And you kind of do that. And so I'm trying to play it off. I mean, everything it was, the play was, I mean, perfect. And I go, and I was trying to rush, doing too much. And I had both plates in my hand, all the utensils in my hand, and I kicked the gate, and I did it too quickly. It didn't work, and I kept moving with the gate solid. I tripped over the whole gate. The food's everywhere. And as I'm falling, I'm avoiding the knife that's, like, sticking up right there. So um, so I almost died, and I turned around, and she's dying of laughter the entire time. And I was just close to death, and it was the funniest thing. So anyways, we all know what that's like, where things throw us off. But the one thing that throws us off the most is sin, because that's what that does. It's like the dizzy bat thing. Like, even if you're trying to go forward, you just find yourself doing You know, going the opposite direction. And I want you guys to understand that all of us, all of us are born in that condition. We're all born off balance because we're all born into this off world and this this world that's been marked by sin and you've been marked by sin. This is why you always struggle to, you know, be a kind of way, to be a kind of person, but you always find yourself just not truly getting there for one reason or another. We can't even follow our own rules, let alone God. Think of that. And so that's an important thing. And for us to be able to, you know, move forward, that's where repentance comes in. Because repentance only means just breaking free from this, putting our eyes on Christ. And now we regain our balance and we're able to move forward. That's what that is. But let me tell you, Christians, though, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to lean on y'all today. Because, see, a lot of times you can be saved and you can be trying to head forward. But a lot of times you can put your head back down. And put your head on a past sin or a new sin or another lie. And it can spin you up and turn you around. And even when you try to run after God, you're going to find yourself running away from him, even trying to run to him because something is off. And this is why we're looking and spending this time. Because God does not want us to see us, you know, falling and tripping all over ourselves. He has done so much so we can find and experience life. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at what happened. To the nation of Israel when something, they were going good, they were running well. But then they took, put their head down, took their eyes off of their God, put their head down on something else. And it didn't end well. And so because everything was thrown off balance. And so we're going to read from the prophet. All right, I'm probably going to say it a couple different ways. You can say Joel, Joel, all right. That's the prophet that we're going to look at today. And it's a short little book. It's a short little book. But we're going to look at this because something happened in this moment that, man, it happened a long time ago, almost about 3,000 years ago. But it's like if it happened yesterday. And you and I, it's probably happened to some of you guys right now. So let me just give you a thing real quick because we're not going to read all of this. But uh, a setup. The prophet Joel has to speak and God has given him a word to speak at a specific moment. And the reason why is because a plague has caused panic in the whole nation. Now, back then, you know, these people were agrarian, right? These, you know, they were farmers. Right? That's how the majority of people back then lived. Today, we're more, right, technological. Everything is based on electronics and electricity and all those things. And so the, what farmers fear the most outside of a lack of water is locusts. Because these guys come in and they eat everything, all right? They're like a bunch of just teenage boys. They just come in and just, just unleash and then just all they do is just, you know leave chaos and behind them. That's exactly what happened, and what happened was actually so unprecedented. Nothing had ever happened in the nations Israel in the nation of Israel up until that time. A whole plague, a whole army of locusts descends on the nation of Judah, and within a few hours, within a few hours, every single crop has been destroyed, even the seeds have been eaten, and the pasture land of the cattle was all gone. I mean, guys, this is a national death blow for a nation like that. That was a nation of farmers. It was a death blow to them. The only way that I can put it, it the equivalent us, the equivalent of for us is if an EMP ever hit the United States. I don't know if you guys know what that is. Some of y'all know because actually a lot of uh, the, you know, the army, the military war game, this scenario. An EMP is, a, is an electromagnetic pulse. And if you take an EMP, put it at the head of a nuclear weapon, and explode this nuclear bomb in the air, not in the ground. If you explode it in the air, in the atmosphere, it shoots this electrical charge over the area that will fry every single circuit board that exists. So if this blew up over our city, over a state, or or over a region, depending on how big the blast was, think about it. Cell phone towers, your phone cars all right your cars are all electrical and computerized now all of those things tvs the internet i mean everything gone fried and this isn't just like a quick repair job when you lose electricity and you know in your house and then they maybe in a couple hours no the grid is gone you if this happened you would have to rebuild everything from scratch and it would take generations listen to that it would take generations to be able to bounce back from something like this, and millions of people would die. That is what happened to this country right here. That's what happened to this nation, was that, that EMP effect of what was going down. And the crazy part was, and some of y'all might not like this, I'm like, yo, wait a minute. Yo, God sent these things. God sent the locusts on his own people. And I'm like, yo, why? That sounds messed up. Why would he do that? Well, here's the problem, guys. And I want you guys to know God did it out of love. And it doesn't sound very loving, but it is when you see it in context. Here's the problem. The people of Israel for generations, for generations, were doing the very thing you and I do. They were doing the very thing that Adam and Eve did at the very beginning, and you and I still do it today. And when we do it, we invite problems in our lives. You know what they did? You do it too. Tell me I'm lying. No cap. Listen, we, here's the problem. We invite problems in this world. When we put question marks where God has put a period, you got to listen to that. When we put a question mark where God puts a period, we invite problems. That's when God says, this is who I am. And we put a question mark. Really? Really, though? This is right. Take that period, question mark. Really? This is how you should live. This is the good way. This is who. Really? That's what the devil did. First thing he showed up, first thing that when he started spitting game to Eve, he was like, "Uh, did God really say? The devil put a question mark where God put a period and threw Adam and Eve off balance and has thrown the whole world off ever since. And guys, you and I are prone to do the same thing. Where God puts a period and declares, this is right. This is true. This is the way. We invite problems when we put a question mark. And that's what the people were doing for generations They were doing this for generations and they were playing a religious game with God. And so what God did was he sent this army and he actually said he would do it. When they, when they were freed from Egypt, and, and this was hundreds of years before this, God gives them a law and says, hey, guys, you guys were slaves, and now you're free. Let me give you a law to show you how to live, how to be able to live like a free people. And this is how you and I can interact and be happy together forever. And if you ever find yourself messing up or falling short, which, by the way, you will. He instituted a sacrificial system. So that way, when you realize, uh-oh, I messed up, he actually created a system where an animal would pay the price for your penalty so that everything would be okay. And justice can be done, yet you can still live. That was a sign of what Jesus was supposed to fulfill later on. And so at this point, what they did was they got comfortable. They, that success hit them. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen somebody like an artist? Man, when they were putting out great music, beautiful music, right, because they were struggling and hungry. Right? You, you ever see that in an athlete, right? When they're just, I mean, grinding away because they, they're earning that contract. And the second they make it big, it's like they start coasting. You ever see that? You ever see that happen in a person? Right? When somebody just goes from the bottom up and then they, when they get there, then they stop doing what they were doing at first. Got, oh, there's a lot of marriages that do the same thing. You guys go, go, you're dating, you're being all cutesy and all this and all that. And the second you get married, you think that's the finish line. And you stopped doing what you were doing before, no wonder. I'm like, oh, we're not happy. We fell out of, we fell out of love with each other. Yeah, because y'all stopped loving each other. You stopped doing the very thing. Even when you're married, you still got to keep dating each other, all right? And that's what happened. They got to this place with God, and they're saying, all right, God, we married, right? Oh, so that's it. We can do. Huh. And they started playing these games. They started remixing God's words. And actually, God in the law said, if you guys go too far, I will send a nation, I will send locusts to consume everything in a way to wake you guys up, to help you see you are going in the wrong way. And I think it's not a coincidence, guys, because see, God wanted, God wanted to show them in the physical what was happening in the spiritual. Because in the same way that locusts came in and consumed and destroyed everything. He says, that's what your sin is doing. Your sin is devouring and destroying all the good that you have. The sin that you are allowing, the, the, the sin that you're playing games with is eating away at your joy, at your hope. It's throwing everything off and then killing everything off. So he did something in the physical to show them what was happening in the spiritual there. And so listen what now God has to say. Ready? Let's go. I got the book here. We're going to look at Joel chapter 2. 12 and 18, just a couple of verses, and we got a couple more. Look what he says. Even now, the prophet tells the people, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. What does God have to say? All right, here's what God has to say Turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. And he relents from sending disaster. I mean, who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. So you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. And that we can bounce back from this. So blow the horn in Zion. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim an assembly and gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, the oldest of the old, gather the infant, even the babies nursing at the breast, the youngest of the young. Let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber, because this is serious, That's serious. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep. Before the portico and the altar, let him say, have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace, an object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the people? Where is their God? And then the Lord became jealous for his land and he spared his people. So I want you guys to check this out. So what is, is, again, what's the problem? People are putting question marks where God has put a period. They are saying, God, uh, we think we know what we're doing better, and they are acting like God. The the Lord is no longer king in the center. It is now they put themselves at the center, and everything is now off balance. And so what does God tell them to do? He tells them to turn back. Guys, I want you to stop for a minute and hear this, because so many times we hear the word repent, and we think, like, we take that as a negative thing. But you need to see it as a positive, because it's literally God saying, I still want you back. I still want you back. I still and I all that you did, all that stuff I still want you. I mean, process this. How would you feel? How would you feel if the person that you loved, the person that you gave all of your attention and desires and you gave their entire life to them, only for them to repeatedly step out on you, to repeatedly take that message from that fella and, and can, you know, repeatedly interact with uh, and give themselves instead of to you, to others. And when they now are struggling and when they come back, are you going like, to, like Bruno Mars, are you going to leave the door open for them? Nah, you're going to slam it in their face, alright You're going to slam that door in their face, right? That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. But here, God says, no, the door, I'm still going to leave the door open for you. It's here. I want you back still because that's how much he loves us. And so that's an amazing statement for him to say, turn back. Come back to me. I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. You have turned your back on me, but I have not turned my back on you. Come back. That's an amazing statement. But then notice, what should their attitude be? He said, "Tear your hearts like come. Return with your whole heart. Like this can't be no half-hearted thing. This can't be like you know we've we've done it. I know I've done it when I was a kid and I've and I've had that half-hearted apology, right? Like you were more upset that you got caught than than you actually doing the wrong thing. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, mom, I'm sorry, my bad, I'm sorry. Like you're not you're more uh, sorry that you got up, you know, you got caught. You're not sorry that you hurt that individual, right?" And so he's saying, no, 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 I don't want no half-hearted measures. I don't want no religious games. He says, tear your heart, not your clothes. I know that sounds weird, but listen, back then when people were going through something emotional, when they were truly sorry and repentful, they did this outward expression of a physical thing of how they felt on the inside. Guys, I know you know the feeling when you're really hurting, and it feels like your soul is being torn in half, right? You feel like your heart is just getting ripped apart. We know what that's like. And so they would do that physically to show what they were doing. But he was like, no, 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 I don't want no games, though. Don't come out here and be like, all right, God, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, okay. No, no, don't just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Tear your hearts. Like, you got to mean it. You got to mean it. You got to understand how serious this is. Understand how serious what you've done is You got to understand and own up to it, tear your hearts. And this is why, guys, this was so heavy. Because Joel, when he says, sound the trumpet, sound the alarm, blow that horn. That was something that they did as a warning sign. Like, this is an alarm. Like, this is a serious thing. Sound an alarm! We all need to wake up. This is a wake up call that God is giving us, and He says, "Everybody, you got to get everybody together. Get, get, get Grams, get Grandma, get the oldest, get, get that little baby, get everybody. Hey, you, you need to get out that bedroom. You need to hurry up because this is more important. Like it's it's everybody. There is nothing more important than to turn right now. And this is an amazing statement because it says all people from the oldest to the young, the whole nation was supposed to gather, guys. All of us, you and I." We've all guilty of this very same thing. We are all guilty of the very same thing. And and this is the part that you guys need to understand. We are called to gather and to turn back to God. But you need to understand how serious this all is because it affects God. You know what one of the biggest lies that has ever come out of the pit of hell is? And you know what? Some of y'all probably said it. You ready? You got to remove this from now on. When somebody says and somebody calls you out, and really when you look at what something, you know, God has said, right? You put a period. You know how we like to put question marks where God puts a period? When we say a sentence like this, ready? I'm not hurting anyone. That's a question mark. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just doing me. This is my life. I, I'm not hurting anyone. Well, you know, you're making too much of a big deal. I'm not hurting anyone. No, you, you don't understand. I'm not hurting anyone. All right, so it's not that bad, right? No, no, it's not that bad. I think you're making too much of a big deal, Pastor. I think God is, is making too much of a big deal. All right, if, if it's not such a big deal, then why don't you stop doing that? Why don't you stop doing the very thing? I'm not hurting anybody. Go ahead, stop then. Well, I don't want to. You don't want to or you can't. If you can't, that means, see how serious it is? It's not just, all right, I'll stop. You can't. Not in your own strength, not by yourself. It's one of the biggest things because, like, guys, every time we sin, it hurts you. It hurts you. But you might not feel it. That's why you say that sentence, right? I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. You know how it hurts you first? It numbs you. Sin numbs your heart to the point that you can get slapped in the face and you don't feel a thing. That's the very thing, that's what happens. It hurts you because it already desensitizes you. And then now you are numb to the effects of that's happening to your own life, and you're numb to the very fact that you are hurting people around you because that's what sin does, and that's why God is so serious, guys, about it. Because God hates sin because God loves people and sin hurts people, and it hurts you. There is no one thing that you can do. There's no white little eye that does not hurt you, does not hurt someone else, and here's a heavy one, ready? It hits God. It hits God. Did you see? I read a, there was a, uh, verse 17, there's a priest of the Lord. Let them weep and say, God, have pity on your people. Have pity on your people, Lord. Listen, to that, that priest right there is Jesus. When he was on the cross, he prayed a really similar prayer. He said, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize how serious it is. They don't realize how bad it is. God, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, but Jesus knew what he was doing, and I'm glad because none of us knew. None of us had a clue. Jesus knew what he was doing when, when he did what he did and all those things. And so notice, guys, and, the, and that, weeping, that weeping priest there, That we, I, we need to understand this one thing, that, guys, when you when you do wrong, it's just more than just the fact that you did wrong. When we do wrong, we actually do wrong to God. When we, and, and I know we all know the feeling, you ever feel guilty, right, when you do the wrong thing? Like you know what's wrong, you feel guilty, right? Gu- you feel guilty when you do the wrong thing, but you know what? You may feel guilty, but you actually bring grief when you do the wrong thing to God. As a Christian, you, you're going to see more and more. Every wicked thought and emotion you ever had is another spike that composes the, the crown of thorns that was beaten into Jesus' skull. Every you begin to see more and more. Every single action and everything that you've ever done, you begin to see them as another nail, and the very spear that pierced Jesus' heart. See, that's what it is. It is such a big deal. It is such a big deal. But what's, again, so amazing, what is so amazing is that we can, I mean, guys, we know how hard is it. You all know what it's like to have somebody hurt you. You all know what it's like to have somebody abandon you to somebody that just just left you. They didn't do what they were supposed to do or they went a little too far. You know what it's like to somebody to hurt you physically, emotionally. We all do. How hard is it to still have a heart for that person? When they hurt you, is it easy to have a heart for them? No, right? It's not It's not, you don't want to have a heart for them. You want to hurt them. That's what you want to do, right? That's what you want to do. But God can take all of this hurt from all of us and not once flinch and still consistently love you. The grief that God experiences from our sin does not stop him from being good that's the, that is the, the beautiful part about this moment. And when we repent and turn back to God, he says in the, after this in verse 19 and 24, he says, this is what I'm going to do. When you repent and turn back, I'm going to remove the enemy. I'm going to remove the very thing that has been consuming you, eating away at you, hurting you. I can remove it. I can remove it, and I will even renew you and restore you like if nothing ever happened. Look at this amazing phrase. Check this out. In verse 25 and 27, look what God promises to do when we repent and return. Verse 25, I'm going to put on the screen for everybody. Look at this. God says, I will, what's that word? Can y'all see it up there? I will do what? I need online, type that word. I need, I'm need. i going to do what? I'm going to repay who? You. Hold on. God is going to repay the people? We're going to come back to that. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate and the young locusts, the destroying locusts, the devouring locusts, all of them. And my great army that I sent you, remember, I sent against you, uh yeah uh you will have plenty though to eat and you will be satisfied you will praise the name of the lord who has dealt fairly wonderfully with you you're going to come to know that what god has done is you're going to be grateful that he did this very thing my people will never again be put to shame and you will know that i am present in israel and that i am the lord your god and that there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame again. Guys, I need you to understand this. When we repent, God repays. But do, did God owe these people anything? Did he owe them anything? No. You know, do, does God owe us anything? In fact, it was the people, right? If, if it was anybody who was going to owe anybody, it's the people. The people owed everything to God that he was still there, that he could have wiped them out, but instead continue to love them and wanted to restore them. They owed everything to God. Guys, look, you and I, we owe everything to Jesus. If all Jesus ever did was forgive me of my sins, that would have been enough. But he goes above and beyond all that. That's what he was saying here. He repays, and guys, I want you to know how he repays, because you and I, we view, we view payback a little differently, don't we? We view payback with a little pettiness, right? It's payback with some sprinkled pettiness all up in that, right? We look at payback differently, and that shows how much God loves. Oh, yeah, I don't owe you a thing, but I still want to. And I'm going to repay, restore all that has been the joy and the the life and the year. All those things, I'm going to restore and give it back to you. This is how, which shows God's gracious nature when he said in verse 13, for he is gracious and compassionate. Guys, that word is amazing because graciousness, the way to be gracious means that God brings delight to us. All right. I know I was kind of saying something a minute ago about, about musicians and stuff, but listen right? Um, you, if you have an artist that writes a song and then when you hear it, oh, it just puts you in that vibe, right? It puts you in that place at that moment, right? The artist has done something that brought delight to your life. Does that make sense, guys? When that, that, that chef cooks up, right? That meal and then you eat it and like, mm, right? It just hits. It just hits. That act was done that brings delight to you. But see, God, that's what he does. He likes to do things that brings joy and delight to your life. But what makes it better even better is that he does it with an attitude of delight. He likes to, he's not just doing that I'm like, all right, look, I'll forgive you. All right, well, whatever, I'll forgive you. How many of y'all done one of those, right? You may know one of those, look, I'll forgive you, but low-key, I don't want to. I'm just dealing with it right now, okay? I, I love you, but I don't like you right now. I need my space. We've been there, right? We've, we've done that. But that's not God. God delights. He enjoys He delights to love the despicable. Like that's what he, he, the whole time he's enjoying his time. He's having a party. He enjoys going, those who repent and turn to him. He loves that. And he loves being good to you, knowing you don't deserve it, knowing it. He loves it. And he repays above and beyond. In verse 26, he said, and you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be whole. Verse 27, he says, and shame will be removed. Guys, this is the part right here. This is the part right here. Because so many times, so many of us settle for repenting, and we begin to feel that regret. I'm like, all right, God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I stepped out. But what's beautiful about God, he says, I will remove the enemy. And when you repent, God removes the regret. You got to listen to that. Because when you truly repent and say, Lord, I own up to this, when you repent, he removes the regret. He removes that regret, and all you're left with is joy. The fact that you have this amazing God that you can claim. He says, I am the Lord, your, your God. That we have the audacity to be able to say and claim God as our Father, and that he will claim us. I mean, don't lose sight of how beautiful that is, guys. And listen, in the whole text, I mean, it's a very short book. It's only three chapters long. But the whole text, the prophet Joel is, God is telling him to tell the people, listen, this is a bad situation. And the, it is still time, though. As long as you are alive, it is, there is still time to turn back. And the only way we're going to turn this around, guys, is if we turn around and turn back to God. And he will do it. He will do the impossible. And he did. And he resurrected this nation and did a miracle. Guys, and he does the same thing with us. He does the same thing with us. There's the only way you can turn things around in your life, whether you are somebody who is not a believer in Christ or a believer in Jesus, who have fallen back into a sin cycle that you can't break free from. The only way you can turn it around is by turning around and turning back to Christ. That's what he does. That's the most important thing. But I, he, I want you guys to understand there was another message here that Joel had to say. Guys, as long as, there's still time to turn things around. So turn around. But understand, though, see, God gave Joel a really cool vision. The prophet Joel actually got to see what the end would look like. He actually got to see when God would bring final judgment upon the world. And Joel was saying, guys, look, uh, everybody, this is why we need to sound the alarm, because this is bad, right? And if you can imagine this being bad, oh, there's nothing worse than this. Um, no, I saw something worse. I, Yeah, this is bad, but what's going to hit one day is beyond this. And the only way we can avoid that, guys, is to see and know that God does not want us to go through that. He doesn't want us to experience that. We, they, may we not choose this, but instead choose him. Because all people, we sang it a minute ago, you know, that all every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Guys, let me hear, let me say it. Everybody at one point, everybody's going to come to know Jesus is Lord and God. You're either going to know him as your Lord or you're going to know him as your judge. Guys, he does not want you to know him as that. He wants you to know him as your Savior, as your friend, as your father. That's the choices that we have. And so as we're looking at all of this, this is good for all of us, guys, is is that here's, here's the point. When we own up to our failures, God extends his favor. And that's the thing that needs to hit. When we own up to our failures, God extends his favor. His hand moves in our lives, and he he begins to do all these things that we're talking about. When we first own up to our failures, understanding the damage that we've done to us and others, when we own up to our failures, God extends his favor. And he removes, again, all of the regret, all of the damaging effects and if you're listening to me and you've never put your trust and faith and confidence in Jesus, this is not. What I'm telling you right now is, is uh, you know, why am I telling you to do this? To own up to your failures, that you're not perfect, which you know you're not. Because we all said it, right? We've all said that sentence. Hey, uh, uh, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. You condemn yourself with that statement because then you confess there is a level of perfection no one can hit. But there is one who did. And it was Jesus and so, but you can't play that game, put a question mark where there was a period, and I'm like, but it's not as bad as. No, it's worse than you think. That's why Jesus had to go through the horrors that he had to go through in order for us to come to see and understand. And so, guys, when I say own up to your failures, I'm not telling you you're a bad person, feel bad. No, I'm telling you you're dead. Like you're a dead person, that you are dead and dying, and the only way that you can find life is to turn and to find Christ he said, no matter what you've done and become, no matter the grief that you've brought on his heart, his heart has not stopped being good to you. His heart has not stopped loving you. And I'm not telling you, hey, you're going, you're bad, be better. No, I'm saying you're dead and there's life. There's life available to each and every one of you. But as a Christian, let me tell you now. Because what are what are you doing with the very life that God has given you? Are you playing games with the very chains? that God has set you free from. A lot of times we do that. We sit and play games and get tangled up with the very things that God has untangled us from. And yet God looks at you with grief because he sees the hurt and the pain that you're going through. He sees that you are in this self-destructive pattern and he knows that he can fix it. He knows he can save you. He knows he can undo that. He's just waiting on you. He's waiting on you. And here's the beautiful part about that, guys. Again, when we repent, God removes a regret. You want to see how? Look at Ephesians three eight. If there was anybody who was killing, it, it was Paul. And Paul says this amazing statement in verse three. He say, "This grace, the grace meaning the gift of God. This grace was given to me, and this grace is salvation. It's being loved by God. It's being received by God as my as a father. As a, you know, He is my father. I'm His son. This grace was given to me. Look how he describes himself. The what? The least." Of all the saints, the least of all the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. See, guys, the more Paul got to know God, the more he was starting to realize, oh my gosh, you are better than I first thought. Your love is better, you're stronger. You're oh my this is incredible. The better he understood God, the better he started understanding. Oh, I'm not as I'm not as hot as I thought I was. Guys, I know that feeling. There was things in my past that I used to be proud of. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I did that. I'm proud of that, right? I did this, went there. Things that I thought were funny, right? All that stuff. And now the more I come to Christ and the more he opens my eyes, the more I turn and realize I'm not, I am not—I can't be proud of those things because I was literally playing games with the thing that was destroying my soul. So I'm not proud of those things anymore. I, I am, I'm not standing here in front of you as somebody who's like killing him, like y'all need to try better. No, listen, I'm just a beggar like you. I just know where the bread is at. All right? I'm just a beggar like you. I know where the bread is. I know where the bread is, and that's what I want to encourage you and tell you. That's what Joel was doing. That's what Jesus came to do. He is that bread. He is that source. He is that life. And what's beautiful about this is to own up to your failures doesn't mean that you got to think yourself, I am a failure. Because, guys, none of us are going to always get it right And here's the the shocker, maybe for some of you, like even as a Christian, and even if you give your life to Jesus, God will give his favor in your life, but it doesn't mean you're always going to get it right from here on out. Why not? See, here's the thing, guys. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins, he forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so this is why when you own up to your failures, it's actually a joyful good thing that we boast in these things. Because when you, every single future failure you are going to have as a son and daughter of God, every future failure is going to give you an opportunity to fall even more in love with your Savior. Every future failure is going to give you an opportunity to fall more in love with your Savior. Because you are going to get to know you that much more. God's going to show you things. Hey, hey, hold on. Guys, I want you to come closer, buddy. But listen, but, but, but in order to come closer, you got to let, let me heal that. In order to come closer, you need to let go of that. In order to draw near, you need to change your mind on that. And, and so that we can, it's, it's removing all the barriers. And every future failure gives us an opportunity to fall in love with our Savior, to see, wow, God, I, if I would have really known who I was, I don't think I would have even forgiven myself. Yet you knew me better than I know myself, and yet you love me better than anyone else. That is an amazing statement right there, guys. And I want you to understand, if you feel like you're stuck in that dizzy bat cycle with an emotional way in life itself, Jesus did everything possible to break you free from that, to get that balance and grounded in the truth of who God is. All right? You don't have to be spinning around. You don't have to be frustrated like you're trying to run straight, but you find yourself running off course. Listen. This is how beautiful that favor of God is, that God's favor not only will make, not only will give you the ability when you own up to your failures, God's then will extend his favor so you can do the right thing. And here's what's amazing about his favor. And it also makes things right when you don't get it right. It makes things right when you don't get it right. And every time you fail in the future, you are reminded, I am this loved I am still loved. That even though I may fail, my God has never failed me. It's a reminder of his faithful love. And so I want to challenge you guys. I know maybe some of you, maybe you're really, you got your head down. And you're spinning in circles because maybe you feel like a failure as a husband, as a father. Maybe you feel like a failure as a person. Some of y'all maybe feel like a failure as a Christian. Because you know better. And you're not doing better. And at one point, you were do, you're doing something that I hate the fact that I do this, that I'm still doing it. And now you find yourself in a position, I don't even want to stop this anymore. And yet, God has not stopped loving you, He has not stopped loving you this entire time. And there is still time to turn things around. As long as you turn back, own up to your failures, and say, Lord, I've done more than just wrong, I've done you wrong. I have, I don't just feel guilty, I have brought grief on your heart. When you own up to that failure, you're going to experience God's favor, and then you are going to get to claim the promises of God. You're going to get to reclaim the joy of your salvation, and then you're going to get to proclaim that shame has lost its hold on me because of what Jesus has done in me, and I have come to know that I have come to know that he is still the Lord my God, and there is no other. And there is no other but him. None but him. Give whatever you have left of just your life. Because he has done it all to now restore. The hope, to restore the joy, to restore your peace. to everything that was robbed and stolen, I believe and declare in the name of Jesus that the spirit of the living God is restoring right now your very soul. Your very soul. That healing is coming to those wounds right now in Jesus' name. That strength is coming to those who lack it. And that joy is coming to those who miss it. It is all right there. It is all in Jesus' hands. And put yourself right now in those hands. I pray for all of us, Lord. If we, as believers, God, forgive us if we have allowed ourselves to take our eyes off of you and we place it on something else and gotten stuck. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that there you are. No matter if we're sinking, how deep we're sinking, Lord, your hand is still there to pluck us out of that place. And for, those, and for everybody else here, there is still time. If you are still alive, you got breath in your lungs and your heart is beating, there is still time. The only way you can turn things around is by turning around and seeing there is the Lord your God. And so I want to pray online and for anybody here, if you've never given your life to Christ. Uh, You don't have to worry about trying to find and figure out your best life. No, your best life is found in Christ. He gave his best for you. He gave his best for you so you can find there is nothing better. And if that's you, I want to pray online. Let me know. It's like I want to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, just raise your hand and say, I need God to break me out of this cycle. I need God to break me out of this mental cycle, emotional cycle, spiritual cycle. And then if that's you, we all pray together and just receive Christ as Lord. And it's. Just with your heart. You can't make this prayer like, oh, you're saying it because I'm making you say it. It got to come from you. And say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. and So forgive me for doing you dirty. Forgive me for doing you wrong. And forgive me knowing, Lord, you don't deserve to. I don't deserve to. But I ask, Lord, humbly forgive me of my sins. And fill me, Lord, with your life. And I give you mine. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you never stop, that you never stop, that your love never misses a beat for us. And I pray, God, that as we continue to experience any failure, Lord, that we fall more in love with our Savior and realize your love is better than I ever imagined and you are better than I ever could have thought. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we hold on to and believe. In Jesus' name, we believe and pray. And in Jesus' name, we have life. And if you believe it, say amen. Not a half-hearted amen, but a full-hearted amen. Because you know that there is no other God, none other than him. None other than him. None other than him. Listen, the closer you get to Christ, the better you're going to realize how amazing he is, more and more. But understand that the closer you get to Christ, the closer you are going to realize how sinful you are. Even as Christians, the light of the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal areas in your life that are still keeping you from drawing even closer. And out of love, God will bring, the Holy Spirit will bring, number one, conviction, convincing, and correcting. Only he can do it. And I I want you to know, that's why I I specifically felt led by the Spirit to let you know that any future failure is now actually an opportunity for you to fall in love with your Savior. Because that's what I meant there. Like the the more you see and the more you can't get it right or this or that, the more you're going to realize how loved you are and God's love for you will impact and influence your love for Him and your love for others. And it will alter The very things and the things that you once were were thought, well, that's not that big of a deal. You're going to wonder, oh, that's a big deal. And the more you go, the more you're going to even hate not what you do, but you won't even do it. That's what the favor of God is. When you own up to your failures, you will experience God's favor. He will help you do what is right, and he will make things right when you don't get it right. So take that. That's what it means, all right? Being that revolutionary, continue revolving your life around Christ. Even let your failures revolve those around Jesus and know that you are more loved than you can ever imagine. And this isn't a game. All right, so break that cycle. Look to Christ and he will continually set you free.